Yay. How are you all? Good to see you. If you don't know me, my name is Steve. I'm from the Beacon Church in Herne Bay. It's my wife, Jenny, the gorgeous one in the third row there. And uh, it's great to be with you. So pleased we came back. Last time I was here was November of the year before last. So it's a long time since we've been here. But Jenny and I do like Faversham in general, actually. You've got a fantastic town, haven't you? Let's be honest. You've got a brilliant town. We do like visiting Faversham. It's a beautiful place. You've got a good bit of community spirit going on, a good bit of culture. You even have talks on art now. Very exciting. Ah, yeah. Very good. What a great place you've got. Jenny and I love travelling. We love visiting places. And uh, love when we go abroad, we, like to, we don't like to just sit on the beach, as much as that's nice, and we do do that sometimes, we like to explore the place we're in. When we've been in Faversham, we've explored Faversham and the back streets and galleries and things like that. And whenever we're abroad, we like to get a real taste and a flavour of where we are. We don't want to just eat egg and chips and go to where all the Brits are. We want to go where the Brits aren't, to be honest. <laughs> we went abroad to get away from them. So we don't want to be anywhere near them. So we love to explore places where we visit, but to be honest, one of the best places of doing that is in the markets. You ever been to foreign markets with that hustle and bustle and the really strange smells and you're not quite sure if it's a fruit or an, or or an ornament? You know, is it, do you eat it? Do you put it on your shelf? I've no idea. But we love exploring all that kind of stuff. And um, we've been to markets in Vietnam, haven't we? Big indoor, massive, great markets. Bentown Market in Ho Chi Minh City is a great place to visit. Also, there's an amazing one in Bangkok we went to that was completely bonkers. Fluorescent coloured little chicks. You know your highlighter pens? They dyed them all these different colours. I've no idea if you eat them or what you do. I, I don't know. Seriously, don't know. But it was brilliant. We love exploring these places. And you get a taste and a feel for the culture because of the cuisine. They eat ornaments. Uh, you never... It's just... It's so alien and really strange. And you get a real, more distinct understanding of the place you're in. There was one market we went to in Tunisia. We went to the capital, Tunis, and uh, this place was actually quite imposing. It's in the Medina in Tunis. It's this walled quarter of the city that's quite imposing. It's quite dark. And we're actually warned, if you visit this market, it's called a souk. If you visit this souk, don't go in too deep because you'll have trouble finding your way out and there's skullduggery going on. There are denizens there who will be out to get you. There's pickpockets around and even just walking and skirting the outer edges of this market, it was dark but you could sense eyes were on you. It was like a movie scene. It was just like, there's these white people here, what are they doing? And it felt a bit foreboding to be honest. And there was this one young guy who wanted to sell us his wares and he tried a bit of the banter but we knew what he was up to. But he got us into his leather coat shop trying on leather jackets, we weren't going to buy anything, but he was trying it on. He even, even offered, to, he took a liking to my wife, he offered to swap her for half a dozen camels. And, uh, I refused, of course, I prefer llamas, and uh, no, I wouldn't swap her for anything. But all along, I knew that he was, he was up to something, and he was just trying to get what he could out of us, he was just trying to sell us his wares. It was an interesting experience, and to be honest, being in a place that can feel a bit foreboding, can feel completely alien to us, that just trying to sell us their wares, impose their values on us, can be a bit what it's like to feel as a Christian today mm. in the world around us. It's actually a very similar, very similar thing. And if you want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, flip this over. This is exactly what Peter is talking about when he's writing to these Christians who are spread abroad. It's exactly the same as we can feel today. This, as Sam pointed out really well last week, this is actually just as relevant. 2,000 years ago, and today, equally so. 
And so Peter is writing to Christians who are in alien cultures. Either alien, considering where they've come from, or alien simply because of their new values that they now have in them as Christ followers. And so as Sam really, really well explained last week, he was talking about the dispersion, explaining what that was. And that this is now 30 years after Jesus, and there are many believers now spread abroad, and he's writing to many of them, particularly in Tur- what we now call modern Turkey. It's a Greek-thinking, Roman-ruled part of the world. And many were there. Um, many had been born there, in fact. Many had been, their families, their uh, ancestors had been there over previous centuries. Many from the exile, 500 years before, when they had been in exile in, in Babylon, in Persia. Uh, when many returned home to Israel 500 years before this, many stayed, or many stayed on the route back home. And so many of these people, this is all they've ever known, this is where they've grown up. They are Jews, and now Christ followers in a place where they've always grown up. They've never known Israel. In fact, during Jesus' time, there were probably more Jews outside of Israel than there were within. There was one million Jews in Egypt alone. That's like a reverse exodus. It's quite interesting. There's a lot of that going on already. So already there's a lot of Jews who are now believers, and this is the world they've only ever known. They've never been to Israel. Add to that, there is this great persecution that's been going on in Jerusalem. We can read about in Acts chapter 8, and there was a dispersion of believers who fled because of fear and violence as well as family history. Different reasons why they were elsewhere. This great flurry of believers escaping Israel. Add to that, non-Jews, what the Bible called Gentiles, us, non-Jews now coming to faith and believing in Christ, who also live elsewhere abroad in this Greek-thinking, Roman-ruled world in what is now modern Turkey. All these people, compared to uh, the cultures they've grown up in or the cultures they've been born into, they are now living with a different destination in their satnav, to possibly their families, certainly to their neighbours. They're living with different values, living with different reasons for living, living with different purpose, living with a different destiny and a different way of life now as a result of that. And that is contrasting hugely with the values of those who live around them. Looking at the world around them and recognising there is a huge difference in values, a huge contrast. Many people might be criticising them, Perhaps even family members, close people to them, might be criticising them for the way they live and what they believe. Some might be indifferent, but some will be rejecting them. I'm sure all of us can put a hand up to different experiences of each of those uh, reactions to us as to what it means to be a Christian. Sometimes it can feel like we're salmon swimming upstream. You can imagine the other, the other fish making their way downstream. Going, Where are you going? What are you doing? It's like, we're going upstream. So what are you doing that? It's hard. What are you doing that for? It's hard work fighting against the flow. When you just go with the flow, there's a nice beast at the end. We're going to have pina coladas at sunset. It's going to be lovely. And the salmon are like, no, we're going upstream to find some little gravel beds to have babies. So, okay, weirdos, off you go. It can feel like that when we try to explain what it means to be a Christian to people who have no idea what we're talking about. It can just really clash in understanding. And so, within that, Peter wants to answer the question, how do you maintain joy, peace, strength, hope, in the face of looking around at a world that you might despair of when you see where it's going, where it's headed, or you may not fully understand, and they certainly don't understand you. Perhaps in slightly increasing capacity now in our country, your job could be at risk because of what you believe. That's starting to happen now. In terms of uh, family rejecting you, particularly Muslims coming to faith, there's one example, of course. 
Even just your standing in community now could be at risk because of what you believe on certain subjects. This country, our world, is changing. How do we maintain joy, peace, strength when this is going on around us? What Peter does here, he doesn't lamely empathise. He doesn't just go, yeah, I know, tough, isn't it? He doesn't say that. Neither does he stick his head in the sand and ignore it. And I believe this is a Holy, Holy Spirit-inspired moment in as much as, of course it is, because it's scripture, but also because within a couple of years, Emperor Nero's increasing persecution to Christians is about to kick off. And it was vile what he did to Christians, turning them to human candles, sewing them into animal skins for lions to ravage, horrible stuff he did to Christians. This is a pivotal moment when Peter is writing this to write to Christians because even he didn't realise quite what was coming yet. And as a, as a result of that next persecution, next wave of persecution, that he was crucified for his faith. It was all about to happen. So in the light of that, in the context of that, let's read from 1 Peter chapter 1, and read from verse 3 down to verse 12. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. So just remember, while we're looking at these verses, Paul is right, uh, Paul, Peter is writing to God's people who are spread abroad, uh, spread abroad by family history or by fear and violence. And many of them are going to be thinking, what happened there? How did we end up here? This place looks, smells different to us, to where we've come from, or to what we used to believe. This place is now singing a different song, or perhaps more importantly, we are now singing a different song. And to many people, we're either odd or offensive. And so Peter wants to instill in them some kind of hope. But how does he do that? He doesn't do it with pat words or empathy. He does it a very, very different way. And here's how he does it. You see... The word hope is used quite frivolously. Hoping for the best. I hope you're well. I hope the car lasts the journey. I hope the money doesn't run out. These are all based on possibilities and probabilities. Just the chances of it may or may not work out okay. It's a bit of guesswork really, isn't it? It's a bit of optimism. It's about glass half full. 
I'm not a glass half full person, mine's more about 55% full if you look carefully, I'm a little bit more than that. But even then, that's just a bit of just hoping for the best, really. Peter here is not using the word hope in that kind of definition. He's using it differently. See, he's saying the issue is not that our inheritance is just a nice possibility. Our security for the future is just a nice probable. He's saying, actually, it's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. That's not the issue. He's saying that's guaranteed. The issue is we can lose sight of that. And when we lose sight of that, we can lose hope. Who's seen Finding Nemo? Yay! Paul was delighted when he found out yesterday that I'll be speaking on Finding Nemo because it's his favourite film. (laughs) (laughs) Finding Nemo's great. I was watching a bit of it again last night. Little Nemo, if you haven't seen it, Little Nemo, the clownfish from the Great Barrier Reef, Northern Australia, and he's captured. He's enslaved. He's trapped. He's confined in a fish tank in a dentist surgery in Sydney. Doomed. He's 1,200 miles from home. There are other fish with him in the tank, but he still feels very alone. He misses home. There's a greater threat of this girl, Dala, who's a little horror, who is well-renowned as a fish killer, and he's about to be sent to her house to be a pet and probably not last very long. He's in trouble, and he's alone. And he tries an escape attempt with the others in the tank. They try an escape attempt, and it fails. And he gets despondent. What does he do? He loses hope. He gives up. Until the moment when Nigel the brown pelican comes to the window. They've got great names, haven't they? Comes to the window, and what does he say? Nemo, your dad's on his way. Dad's coming. You wouldn't believe what's happened. Your dad has faced life-threatening sharks. They wanted to eat him. He's faced the horrible depths of the ocean with these nightmare creatures. He's faced fatal jellyfish. And he's traversed this journey to come and get you. He's almost here. Dad's come for you. And as soon as Nemo hears this, hope rises in his spirit. He gets a new sense of purpose. He's driven. He's impulsed to, this is okay. He's invigorated. He has a new vigor in him. Everything is going to be okay. He has a new drive to stand firm and to fight. It's because he's heard the good news that Dad has come for him. For us, You can probably sense it now when you start relating this. For us, the same thing rises in our spirits when we hear the words, Jesus has done it. The same thing. Jesus has done it. It's not a nice possibility. It's guaranteed. Not because he might do it. It's because he has done it. And when we hear that good news, when we hear that anthem crying out, Jesus has done it, we get a new surety in our hearts, a new resilience in our heart that this is going to be okay despite what I see around me. Father, Son and Holy Spirit between them have journeyed through danger, horror, utter depths and nightmares to rescue us. That is not about optimism or hoping for the best. That is all about basing our security in Jesus and what he has done. You see, Peter is not saying to the Christians who are feeling these things, he's not saying to them, look after number one, hide in the corner, like Shaun of the Dead, just go down the pub until it all blows over. 
He's not saying that at all. What he's saying is, every single time, all the time, look to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This is why we bang on about Jesus. And we're going to keep on banging on about Jesus. Because when you keep looking to him, you do not lose hope. But there's something else going on here in how Peter expresses this. This is really important. When we talk about the word salvation, we can often kind of think about it sometimes in quite a flat way, quite a two-dimensional, perhaps even one-dimensional way. We think about it as a point in time. Are you saved? Yes, I am saved. Have you been saved? Yes, Jesus saved me. Which is all valid, all true. But we can leave it there. But we can actually forget the Bible actually expresses salvation in three dimensions. It, It actually describes salvation in a way that you can walk around it and study it from below and from the side and from above. Our salvation is not one-dimensional or two-dimensional, it's three-dimensional, it's fully formed, you can look at it from different angles. What do I mean by this? The Bible will actually say, as a believer in Christ, you were saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. It says these three things about you, about being a child of God. Let's have a look at, keep your finger in 1 Peter 1, we're going to keep flipping back to it. Ephesians 2, verse 5. What does it mean we have been saved? Let's see what the Bible says about that. Ephesians 2, verse 5. Let's start with verse 4, it should be easier. Give it some context. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So now if you flip back to 1 Peter 1, Peter expresses exactly this in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. That time when it happens, you see, back in the past. At some point, this happened to you. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, whenever Jenny and I are abroad, we have a confidence in the fact that we know we are citizens of this country here. We belong somewhere else. We have our passports. We know who we are. We know where we've come from. So Peter is reminding these people, you might have even been born in that nation, but actually you're citizens of somewhere else. Remember, you have been saved. You now belong to someone else. And that passport is imperishable. It'll never be taken away from you. You can't lose it. You belong to someone else now. You have been saved. So that's one aspect of salvation. But there's another. Keep your fingers in 1 Peter 1 and turn to 1 Corinthians 1.18. 1 Corinthians 1.18. I think I missed it now. Where it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who don't know Christ and currently are not heading towards um, eternal security with him, it sounds like foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There is an ongoing process going on here as well. You have been saved, but you're also being saved. So if you return back to 1 Peter 1, this time it's the beginning of verse 5. Talking about this inheritance that's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith. 
You're being guarded through faith. By Holy Spirit, you're being protected. In fact, he sends his angels to protect us as well. You're being protected. You're being kept safe. Your salvation is secure. If you are saved, you will always be saved. You, can't, you cannot lose your salvation. If saved, always saved. You're being kept safe. You're being preserved. You're being guided. You're being nurtured. You're being taught. He's helping you grow. So when we've been abroad, when we were in Vietnam, there was a young street kid who we helped over the years. We got to meet him. And he used to take us around the city. And he'd guide us. He'd show us where to go. He'd show us where not to go. He knew where to avoid. He knew how to keep us safe. Certain people, he'd, he'd be able to put them at ease about us. He'd go, okay, they're with me. He guided us, he guarded us, he protected us while we were there. We were citizens of somewhere else in an alien land, but he, we were being kept safe while we were there as well. So you have been saved. You are being saved. Keep your fingers in 1 Peter 1. And now we turn to 1 John, going back the other way, going forwards now. 1 John 3, 2. Just shortly after Peter's letters. 1 John 3, verse 2 says... Beloved, we are God's children now. They are, have been saved. And what we will be has not yet appeared. Oh, hello, really? But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. The first bit again, what we will be has not yet appeared. I thought I was saved. Ah, more to come. To come back to 1 Peter 1. And the second half of that verse 5. So it says, who by God's power you're being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's still not even fully realised yet. The best is still yet to come. Isn't that amazing? And so while we're abroad, we've got our passports and we know who we belong to. And we have confidence in our identity that we belong somewhere else. But it's okay while we're here. Because we're being guarded and being kept safe and being guided and nurtured and taught. We also know we've got our tickets home. We've got our airplane tickets. We know one day we'll also go home. There's a has been saved, there's a being saved, and there's a will be saved. But one more, it's always good to use scripture to back up scripture. John chapter 6. And you can see all of this in one verse. I love this verse. John chapter 6, verse 39. Jesus says this. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Let me just read that again. And this is the will of him, the Father, who sent me, Jesus, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. He's talking about his people. So all that the Father has given him has been saved. I will lose none of that being saved, but will raise it up on the last day, will be saved. Do you see there's this three-dimensional element to salvation, that we can see it from different angles and give us a great security for who we are as his people. See, this is why Peter, in verse 3 of 1 Peter 1, he calls it a living hope. It's a living hope. It's not some dead fact, it's not some lifeless kind of uh, wishful thinking. And it's not just for the future either. If our salvation was just about the future, 
it means we would, we, we're not expected to act any differently or expect any intervention today. But he's not that kind of God. He's interested in the now as well. This living hope we have in Jesus is active and effective in so many different ways. We have the clean slate. Our sins, our wrongdoings, the stains in our heart are dealt with by Christ on the cross. But we also have a promise of fruitfulness for now as we walk with him. We bear fruit for him as we witness for him, as we live a life that honours him. But also, yes, we are secure for the future as well. The best is still yet to come. In Christ, we are preserved on both sides and in front and behind. Past, present and future collide in the person of Jesus. Because of what he has done, because of what he is doing, and also because of what he will do. See, Nemo's dad, Marlin, he left the comforts of home. He left that great, glorious, amazing, beautiful, great barrier reef. He left that behind to go and rescue Nemo. Jesus left the comforts and the riches and the glories of heaven to come here to rescue us. And Marlin travelled through horror and depths, faced nightmares to rescue Nemo. God travelled through horror to rescue you. What Jesus faced on that cross wasn't just abhorrent to the Father. When he was on that cross and he carried our sins, our stains on our behalf, that wasn't just abhorrent to the Father and Father had to look away. Just remember that Jesus himself is eternal God. It was abhorrent to him as well. And yet he willingly wore that for you and for me. He faced his, his biggest nightmare, effectively. Willingly, that we might be saved. Nemo's dad, Marlin, risked his life for Nemo. Jesus gave his life for you and for me. And he rose again to seal the deal that we not, might not just have our slates wiped clean, but we might be stepping into new life with him that doesn't just start in the future, but it starts now. You see, we can define ourselves by our current story. We can look around and get despondent, feel like God's abandoned us, just feel we're going against the flow, we're swimming upstream and it's hard work, and we can just define ourselves by what we see. But so often we need to remind ourselves of what Christ has done for us, what Christ is doing for us, what Christ will do for us, and define ourselves by his story, define our journey by his journey. Perhaps the band want to come back? That's okay, just while I pray. It's good just to spend the time just reflecting on what Jesus has done for us. It's, uh, it's what I was saying at Beacon Church a couple of weeks ago. I said there's a reason why we keep banging on about Jesus. It's a very good reason. Everything has to be founded on him. Our hope has to be founded on him. Otherwise, yet again, we look to our circumstances, we look to our illness, we look to our relationships, we look to our jobs, just look to our experience in general, and define our hope by what we see, what we hear, what we feel. 
So often even our theology can be ruled by our emotions, can't it? And so often we have to be so objective and remind ourselves of what Jesus has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Let me just pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have revealed yourself to us through your Son. That your message to us isn't just the things that Jesus said, but your message to us is Jesus. That he left the comforts at home to come down to this broken world, to enter our fabric, our space and time, to dwell amongst us, to live the perfect life that we could never live, and to die for us, the death that we deserve, to stand in our place that we might be made whole before Holy God. And then he rose again to glorious new life that we might have the same as well. Lord, thank you that we have a security in our future in you. Thank you that we have a confidence in who we are because we have been saved. But thank you also that you're involved in the now. By Holy Spirit, you walk with us, alongside us, in us, guiding us, giving us supernatural joy, peace, strength when the storms of life come. And even just as we sing these songs, may you just instill in each one of us, in whichever way each of us needs, may you just instill in us deeply, get deep into our marrow, the sense of our security in you, as past, present and future collide in your great majesty. We love you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.